some of you, if you're freaked out that I'm wearing a tie, I'm sorry. I don't usually wear one, okay? So if you're thinking, wow, I must be in the wrong place. And, well, okay, for those of you who are like, you know, you're wearing a tie, I'm sorry I don't wear one all the time. I'm sorry for those of you who think that I should. So It's Christmas, though. It's a Christmas tie, so there you go. Oh, uh, it is Christmas. I'm so excited. It's Friday. I, I, it doesn't feel like it should be Friday, but it is. And uh, sign of the times. You know what Christmas is like in 2015? I can tell you what Christmas is like in Portland, the hipster capital of the world. In Portland, Santa, we got a picture of Santa? There he is. Santa rocks a man bun in Portland. <laughs> like a boss. Do you see it? Isn't that great? Why didn't our Santa Friday night at the pancake dinner have a man bun? I, I think this is like the new style for Santa Claus. I think that looks great. I'm, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I, that's mine to look next, right. You know, 20 years ago maybe. So. Yeah, so Santa looking good, bringing the gifts. That's what Christmas is all about, right? Bringing gifts, presents. At least you would assume so, looking at what everybody in our culture does around this time. It just gets crazy, like... People are, go online and they buy stuff and we go stand in line at the mall and it just gets so wild. Last month, a, a Gallup poll found this. So this was taken in November. The average American adult plans on spending $830 on Christmas this year. You take out all the people who are like, bah humbug, Christmas, I'm spending zero. You take them out of the equation. We're going to spend over $900 each on Christmas. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand where you rate on that, but... You know, $900 per person, it's a lot of money. That's as much as it's been since the market crash back in 2007. So we're spending a lot of money this year on gifts. Somebody's going to get something nice, right? <laughs> so, uh, I, and um, if you are like sitting here and this is giving you a little feeling in your stomach, like, uh, I just want you to know, I saw another survey done this weekend. It said 90% of Americans are not done shopping yet. So you've got some coverage. If you're not done yet, you're still okay. Think about this. This is kind of bizarre to me. Think if you were talking to somebody from an entirely different culture. They don't know, not only not about America, they don't know anything about Christmas. They don't know about what we do with Santa. They don't know about like what the Bible says about Jesus being born. So it's your job to explain to somebody what Christmas is. And Can you imagine explaining this to someone else? Like, okay, so this is the time of year when we celebrate the birth of God's son into the world. He became one of us. And we celebrate that by going out and spending nearly $1,000 per person on people that we really don't care for sometimes, but we're obligated to buy them something. We, we give gifts that immediately are going to either be forgotten about or taken back in exchange for what the person really wanted, right? So does this make sense to anybody that this is how we, we've taken Jesus and his birth and we've made it this? How did we get here? You ever think... Is this really what God intended? Is this really good? Is this healthy? I, mean, I had a video clip that kind of illustrates this. Just watch this. This is from the show The Middle, if you've ever seen it. Can you relate to that? I, I think if we were just all to be honest with ourselves and honest with each other, there is just a little bit of pressure that goes along with this whole gift-giving thing, isn't there? There's a little pressure we put on ourselves. There's a little bit of expectations. There's, there's this uh, pull to participate in what our culture is doing right now, the spend, spend, spend. I've got to get to the mall. I've got to get the last things. I've got I've to do all of this. And, you know, they bought me something, so I better buy them something. I, I think it's actually getting worse, just progressively worse. For me personally, and you don't have to agree with me or not. It's okay if you don't. But I thought we crossed the line when we started opening stores on Thanksgiving. I thought, like, this is just too far. People go on, and if you did go out on Thanksgiving night, I'm not judging you, but I, for me, I just think, come on, just let's take at least one day. But 
I, th- I think that the line has gone even further because there was just a study done that said that one out of every, uh, what was it, one out of every five people, like 20% of people said, you know, if the stores were open on Christmas Day, I would go shopping. So I'm like, oh, man, Thanksgiving doesn't sound so bad anymore. It's Christmas. And if you narrow that down and you just ask millennials, again, I'm not judging, but if you ask people who are 18 to 34 years old, one out of every three millennials say, yes, I would go shopping on Christmas Day if the stores were open. So it's just, again, I say it's getting progressively worse. Something's intensifying here. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you would go shopping on Christmas Day if the stores were open, but I do have a question for you. How did Christmas, remembering Jesus' birth, you know, become spend too much? How did giving gifts because God gave us a gift become I go into debt and it takes me several months after Christmas is over to pay off the credit card? How, how did we get here? What, what's going on? I think there's a lot going on. This is just my opinion. But as I sit back and reflect on this, I, for one thing, I just believe that our culture together, we've bought into this myth that says stuff equals happiness. The more stuff I get, the happier I am. The more experiences I have, the more things I get to go do, the better off I will be. So we kind of bought in. Again, I say it's a myth. I don't think that actually stuff makes you happy, but we've kind of got this idea. And so when we get to Christmas time, how that filters down to us is the more I spend, the happier I am. The more gifts you give me, the happier I will be. The, The more experiences I have, the more parties I go to, the more things that I get. I don't think it always works out that way, but that's what, and to be honest, sometimes we think even a step further. The bigger the gift, the more important I am. The bigger I gift, the more gift I give, the, the more you're impressed with me. So we're kind of using stuff in a way that it's really not meant to be used, and it's kind of mixing things up. But I think it even goes deeper than that. It goes to something I talked about last week in the first message of this series. And, and if you missed it, please go back, get the podcast, get caught up. You can go to iTunes, you can get it on our website, but... Uh, we're always worshiping something in our lives. God created us to worship him, I believe. But then if we don't worship him, we end up worshiping other inferior substitutes for God, one of which is stuff. And we're making stuff be the thing that gives us security and gives us ultimate happiness and provides us a sense of who we are. And it was never meant to do that. But we, we make it like this miniature God in God's place. And so when we do that, life doesn't work. Listen to something Jesus once taught. He said this in Matthew 6, 24. He said, uh, you know, you can't worship two gods at once. It, it won't work. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. Kind of just pulling the hood up on what's going on in our culture. It's more obvious at Christmas. But this is going on 24-7, 365. Together as a whole, we just kind of made something other than God, our creator, God, and this is the result that we get. You know, and there's times in life, it's not just Christmas that this becomes obvious. There are other times that what's really most important to us comes to the forefront. I'll give you a perfect example. This happened in September. So out in Las Vegas, a British Airlines Boeing 777 had a massive catastrophic engine failure. Fortunately, they were still on the tarmac. They, had, they weren't in the air or anything, but it was horrible. They, there's like pictures of this plane fully engulfed in flames and smoke. And so passengers, it's like fully deployed, the emergency exits, people are rushing off the plane. We've got some pictures, though. These pictures are kind of disturbing. Not disturbing just because of the flames and the smoke. Look at this. Do you see what the people are coming off the plane with? Their bags, their carry-on. You're like, your plane is on fire, but you stopped to grab your carry-on? Really? You say, well, what's the big deal? They all got off safe, right? Security experts say, and safety experts agree, 
every person who stops, even if it just takes you a few seconds to grab your stuff, even though only half the plane did that, it adds seven minutes to the evacuation time. So you're talking like 15 minutes if the whole plane does that. So it's like, yeah, great. You know, I died of smoke inhalation, but you've got your iPhone, so it's all good. It balances out. See how that works? So what does it say about you at, that you are in risk of dying and you still grab your stuff as you're going off the plane? One blogger said it this way. People love their carry-ons more than life itself. I would say this is a picture of people who are worshiping something and they're grabbing the thing that gives them the ultimate sense of security in their life. And this is what takes place. And it's the same thing that prompts this behavior, that prompts us to spend too much at Christmas, to have these expectations of what people give us. And so at the core, we've got to ask, like, what am I really worshiping in my life if stuff is this important to me, the giving and, and all that stuff that goes along with it? I want to give you a, a, a quote. This is from a couple of guys who wrote a book called The Advent Conspiracy, Rick McKinley and Chris Say. They said, we are constantly searching for that one thing that will satisfy us. Yet every time we trust the promise of our possessions, more barriers are raised between our true selves and God's plain command to love him above all things. And they go on to say this. It's not that we necessarily want more. It's just that we want what we want is something that we can't have or that we, don't, we can't buy. So I, like I said, I think this kind of attitude, this I, I want something, it's going on all the time. Christmas is just one of those times it becomes more obvious. And uh, I find it very sad and ironic that at the time that we, we celebrate God coming into the world to set us free, the God who came to set us free from sin and slavery to stuff, that's the very time that we also peak in our indebtedness and in our consumerism just be really honest with you how I'm, where I'm coming from. The meaning of Christmas has never been about gifts, giving stuff. It's never been about all of this. It's what we've made it, but that's not what it is. The true meaning of Christmas, we together, when we gather, and those of you who are even thinking about this, is that God did come into our world. He, he created this world, first of all, and we broke it. So he says, I'm going to come here, and I'm going to become one of you, and I'm going to fix all of it, including the fact that you worship all kinds of things you shouldn't. That's what we're celebrating that God gave his one and only son to us. And I just have to tell you, maybe you've experienced this too, the more time I spend focusing on money and what I'm going to get, the less close I feel to God. And honestly, the less close I feel to other people, even though you would say, well, you're giving gifts, you're receiving gifts. No, somehow that kind of puts a barrier when that becomes the most important thing. So I, I'm just encouraging you maybe to ask some heartfelt questions, just to think about this, like... Uh, what do you really want for Christmas this year? Beyond all the stuff that you hope that you wrote your list down, what, what are you really hoping to get this year? You know, maybe ask yourself, what would it be like for your family and for you personally if you were to push back a little bit at what our culture has made Christmas and say, we're going to do things a little bit differently this year. We're, we're not going to go along with what everybody else thinks and says is normal. We're going to maybe turn the corner on this. Like last week, we said, what if we chose to worship? What if this week, th this is the thing, I, kind of the key idea I want you to take away with you. What if we chose to rebel against what everybody says is normal and good and appropriate? Just a little bit of rebellion among us. What if we made a decision to spend less? What if we made a decision together, we're going to give more but in other ways? What if we decided that that was important to us?
So I got a little bit of time left. I just want to give you some very practical advice along those lines. I want to look in the Bible. It's something the Apostle Paul wrote. It's originally a letter he wrote to a church in Philippi in Greece. It's called Philippians in your Bible because Paul wrote it to the Philippian church. So we're going to look at something that Paul has to say here about giving and receiving. He seems to have found the right balance you know, between this idea of giving and receiving as a Christian. So I want to look at what he said here. So please listen to what he said, and then we'll kind of dig into it as well. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen or follow along in your own Bible. Paul wrote this. He said, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Now, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. No, rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I've got all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. At the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we'll stop there. As you listen to this, does this sound like a really long, elaborate thank you note? It should, because that's basically what it was. So if you go back, Paul started this church in this city of Philippi. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16. He went into this, it's in northern Greece. He went into town, started preaching about Jesus, a church forms. He then left town. He left on the Via Ignatia, which is like a Roman interstate of the time. Went on down the road west to Thessalonica, started a church there, and went on and on. But all through that, the Philippians loved Paul. He's the guy who led them to Jesus. He's their pastor. He's the one who taught them about God. So they continued to support him financially, including this latest gift that they gave them. They send it with their pastor, Epaphroditus, to Paul. Paul's like, I got your, your gift. Thank you very much. You came at just the right time. So I want to look through what Paul writes here because I believe there's some really healthy attitudes about giving. That as we're rebelling, as we're kind of taking a look at the contrarian guide to um, you know, Christmas, I think there's some things we can learn here about giving in an appropriate way. So as I look at Paul's words, the first thing that really jumps out at me from what he said is, it's a good idea to give gifts that meet a need. If you're thinking about gifts that you want to give, think about, am I meeting a need with this? Paul said in verse 16, when I was in Thessalonica, you guys sent aid again and again when I was in need. Can you just feel the gratitude coming through with Paul's words here? And I just really appreciate you guys. You just, just the right time. You just, when I need something, boom, God used you to help me. And you can just sense it in his words. Have you ever had the satisfaction of knowing that you gave something that really met somebody's needs just at the right time? Doesn't that feel great? Or maybe even on the receiving end of something, you just really needed something and somebody came, a friend was there for you, somebody just helped you and they didn't even know maybe they were helping you or doing something great for you. Isn't there just an awesome joy that comes along with that? It's just amazing when you know that you've met a need or that your needs have been met through somebody else. That's how God wants us to be in the world with each other. There's just this, um, this deep satisfaction to know you've blessed somebody else. I want to commend you all as a church. Connection, you guys are awesome at this. I love being a part of a church that is generous like, like you all are. I, I'm thinking of um, Operation Backpack. You all are bringing in the food and you're bringing in the gifts for Operation Backpack. If you're unfamiliar with it, that, just down the road, a couple of blocks from here is Crossroads Elementary School. And we're helping 22 families who are in a difficult time right now. We send food home with these kids discreetly. It's done through the school. They, the school is really administering this. We just provide the stuff. So every weekend, the food that you're bringing in goes home with these 22 kids it blesses their families. I'm so excited to, that these gifts that you've brought in are going to those kids. And so uh, 
you're doing an amazing thing. I know firsthand that you are helping families there. We've heard back from the administrators, the teachers, uh, parents are giving word through them to us that you are doing something good, that you truly are helping people who are in a difficult time. You're meeting a need there. So good job. I appreciate it. You know, something else, I was just so excited talking to Sherry and Ann about Operation Christmas Child. Again, if you don't know what that is, we collected 97, nearly 100 shoeboxes. Good job to you. These shoeboxes will go to kids all over the world. I have been in places where kids got shoeboxes. I was in this little remote mountaintop village out in Mexico, and I was there less than a week after the kids got their shoeboxes. And I'm not exaggerating when I say the shoebox was the nicest thing in their house by far. It was the first gift that they'd ever received. The kids were so proud of it. They brought it out to me. They showed me all this stuff. One of the kids, he'd got toothpaste and a toothbrush, and he went and he brushed his teeth to show me. And they were so proud of that. The box itself, literally not just the stuff in it, the box itself is a treasure to them. You are making a difference in kids' lives. Some of these kids, as I said, this is the first gift they've ever received. So what they hear as these gifts are given to them is God loves you and someone somewhere else in the world loved you enough to give you that. And it's powerful. Good job. Because of what I, you know, the position I am in our church, I get to hear stories all the time. I hear stories from the community of, hey, somebody from your church did something really good for me. I just wanted to tell you thank you. And I'm the one I'm hearing the thank you, but I didn't do it. It's just us together. You all are being generous. You're meeting needs. And it's making a difference. That's what God intended for Christians to be in the world. We're to be a light. Let people see our good deeds, not so they can you know, somehow build us up and we feel arrogant about how good we are. No, it's just that we want to be doing good because God is doing good. And when you meet somebody's needs, we're doing the same thing that God did on a much grander scale for us through Jesus. So it's just a fantastic thing. I, I would even suggest looking at what Paul said here. You take it a step further and not only give gifts that meet needs, but that you give gifts that are memorable, that people will really remember. If you're like me, I know when I give gifts, I always want to hit a home run. I just want whoever is receiving my gift to go, wow, how'd you know? This is awesome. It doesn't always work out that way, but I like that. Do you? Isn't it cool just to go, I, this year I did it. Gifts that are memorable. I love that. Paul said in verse 18, you know those gifts you sent with Epaphroditus? He called them a sweet-smelling sacrifice. It's a beautiful picture. I don't know if you've ever thought of this or you've been familiar with it. Back in Israel, the way the Jewish people would worship God is they would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices. They would sacrifice animals. Sometimes it would just be, but there'd be this altar with burning fire and they would lay the animal on the, the fire or they would maybe pour out grain or wine. I've never thought about this till recently, but I think going to worship would smell an awful lot like a barbecue. Wouldn't it? I'm not, I'm not being sacrilegious or anything here. Worship was intended to involve all of our senses, and when you went to worship God at the temple, you would smell these awesome smells. There would be incense inside the temple itself that would be burned and would go up before God. It was a symbol of their prayers. And so when Paul says you're, you gave a sweet-smelling sacrifice, your gift was like that, he's evoking that sense of, that memory of, this is like worship, what you did. It was very memorable that you gave me this gift. I, I bet probably every one of us can think back to some gift that you received, and you still remember it because somebody did a good job of knowing what you needed or wanted, right? I, I remember one from, like, decades ago. I was a senior in high school. I had just got an, a new car. It wasn't new at all. <laughs> it was new to me. No, the, it was to the contrary. This car was awful. I mean, it was a real piece of work. It was. It was 
and my, everybody knew that, but part of what I enjoyed about that car was I worked on it all the time. So some friends of mine from my church gave me a bunch of parts for my car for Christmas. And you might be like, what? That's stupid. You, I loved it. I still remember that gift decades later because it was a, a gift. It met a need. It was perfect. It fit exactly. So, you know, you want to give gifts like that that are memorable, that, that really means, and they don't have to be a lot of money either. Sometimes gifts that are just simple, but from the heart, there's just this emotional connection, and there's something personal about it. And uh, I, was, I'm, I don't know if this is a true story, and I think it is. It has a ring of authenticity to it. There's a story about a little boy who was at a mission school, and um, he wanted to give his teacher something really nice, so he got her a seashell which the school where he went to was like miles from the coast. So it meant he had like long walk to the beach, pick the right shell, clean it up, give it to his teacher. And she knew that. So she looked at the gift, said, oh, thank you very much, but you shouldn't have done this. this you know, this was this is like you had to walk too far to get that. And he said, well, the walking was part of the gift. That's a memorable gift. It's, it's not so much how much you spend on it. It's that your heart is in it, and it really matches the person that you're giving to. Yeah, I think... Um, think about that and I think about some of us who are next summer going to be taking a missions trip from the church some of you're going so in June we're sending a group down to go naive Haiti to living water Christian mission and we support that mission they're doing a great work there so uh, Salonique Adolphe leads that they have churches that they have started they start schools for educating children they've got food programs they're digging wells they're starting to branch out into farming trying to make life better for the people there so that ultimately that they can gain a hearing, that some, they can talk about Jesus and that God loves you and that Jesus can change your life. And people are coming to the Lord, even out of voodoo, and they're being baptized into Jesus. And so it's really making life better there. And some of you are going to go next summer. We're going to go and we're going to support them by being there. We're going to find out firsthand what they do there. We're going to try to help out any way that we can while just being an encouragement to the missionaries there. Some of you, maybe uh, you're going need to say to your family, don't give me presents this year. Help support my trip. Make a donation that helps cover the cost of me flying there. And I'm going to work hard, so you know, you're going to kind of be a partner in what we're doing. You get to participate in that. But maybe some of you who aren't going, you can partner with some of the people who are by helping support their trip. And you can make a gift that's memorable, and you can say, you know, I had a hand in what the group did when they went there next summer. Which kind of brings me to the last thing. As we're looking at a contrarian guide to Christmas you know, give gifts that meet needs and that are memorable. I would also say just make them gifts that are generous. You know, when Paul said, thank you for the gift, he said, I am amply supplied. He didn't say like, you know, I'm going to scrape by now that you gave me that money. He, they must have given him a really good donation that really helped meet his needs and his expenses uh, as he was doing the Lord's work. And so he said, thank you very much. The other thing that I find really interesting about this is Paul didn't send some kind of a letter making them feel guilty like, Oh, nobody loves me. You know, if somebody loved me, they'd send some, you know, donation. There was no sense of obligation here. There was no arm twisting. There was no spiritual manipulation. They just loved Paul, and they wanted to give this gift. They were generous. That's rebellion. We're not going to buy into this idea that I'm going to give gifts because I have to, because everybody else expects it. We want to give gifts that are motivated by generosity, the generosity and the love that God showed us. (coughs) You know, the, uh, you've probably seen them. The Salvation Army kettles, or the ringers, they're everywhere, right? They get some of the most bizarre stuff in those kettles. Like the guy who runs the Boston chapter said, like, 
Last year, he was saying, we get things like paper clips and watch batteries and safety pins. It's just bizarre what they get. <coughs> Excuse me. But he, he said last year we got something very unusual. One woman anonymously put in her wedding rings from her, her deceased husband that she had received. She, she sent a note with it, and she said this. I dropped my wedding rings in your red kettle knowing that the money from its sale will buy toys for needy children. In all seasons, my husband was a giver. I especially remember his joy at giving at Christmas time, especially to those in need. To honor his memory, I donate this ring. Now, the rings were pretty valuable in and of themselves. They're, they were like worth almost $2,000. They appraised out at that. But because of the provenance and the, the story behind the rings, they actually went for almost $20,000 at auction, 10, 11 times what they were worth. It was an extraordinary, generous gift that this woman gave, and it is going to help other people. I'm hearing stories this year of people doing the same kind of thing, and the rings are even more expensive. I just think that's a great thing. That's how you rebel against a culture that says it's all about what I get. No, it's more about what can I give? How can I be a blessing as God is a blessing to me? You know, as I close out, that's the thing I want to leave you with is that I hope that you realize how God's blessed your life. And if you don't, I would hope and pray that today you maybe would accept the blessing that God wants to give you. That's really what it's all about. God is fixing this world and he's fixing us. Now, God gave an invitation through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he said. Isaiah 55.1. Is anyone thirsty? Come drink. Even if you don't have any money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. It's a, a prophecy and an invitation that ultimately points to Jesus. I want to read you something that Jesus once said. This is on John 7.37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, Hey, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Have faith in me. And you will have life-giving water flowing from deep inside you, just as the scriptures say. And what Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is, you can find true life in me. Maybe today you need to find that life. Or you need to rediscover that life that God's given you in the midst of all the busyness and the chaos. Can I just pray for you and ask for that for you now? Father, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in this world. And I know sometimes we get mixed up and we, we get our priorities so wrong. But I thank you for loving us anyway. Please continue to nudge us in the right direction. Help us to completely understand and accept that love that you have for us through Jesus. That it's, it's unconditional that you love us no matter what. Help us to say yes to that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.